another episode of Freewheeling. I'm your host, Abby Mickey. I have Lauren Rowney with me. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Abby. How you doing? Great. And last time, actually, I got a lot of complaints because people were like, who's Lauren? And I was like, I'm so sorry. I was like so excited that I got her to do the podcast with me that I completely forgot to intro you. So <laughs> what is your bio? What does your bio read? My bio read? Um... Oh, I don't know what it is anymore. Maybe on Strava, it's still professional cyclist. I don't know. <laughs> uh, now it is, I believe, on Instagram, Frankie and Hannes. Nice. Um, with two little emojis. So that's basically <laughs> my life. But formally, um, the last team I raced for was Orica AIS, now Mitchell and Scott. Um, living in Belgium, clearly an Australian with the accent, but born in South Africa. And yeah, I used to race bikes like Abby and now I'm just kicking around in Belgium. Yeah. And you were part of teams like Specialized Lou Lemon and uh, eventually Velocio Sram and then Orica. So you were racing for a really long time, which is why you have so much knowledge. Yeah, I do. And it's, it's been three years away from the sport, but my career as a pro wasn't super long, but I think as like, I started cycling at 13 and that's basically when the dream started and I was super involved and following along with everything that was women's cycling. So, um, yeah, I've been in the sport for a long time. Awesome. So hopefully if you guys want to find her, uh, she's on, what's your Instagram handle and people can follow you. Just Lauren Rowney with an O not an AU. Awesome. Cool. And we can like to add it to this show notes. Cause so you guys can all go stalk her. Um, because, yeah, I'm, I apologize for everyone last year, last week or two weeks ago that messaged me and was like, who is this person that you've brought on the podcast? And I was like, I'm so, I was so excited. I like, didn't even say your full name. And I was like, already forgotten, Abby, already <laughs> forgotten. Anyway, so let's dive into the news. So since we last had the episode, we'll start with the bad news and work our way into the good news. Denise Betsima is back to racing after a backdated six-month ban for anabolic unandrogenic, androgenic, that's a weird word, steroids. Uh, she claimed to have taken a contaminated supplement and the ban was backdated so it she tested positive. My talk is hilarious. <laughs> she does... <laughs> She does a positive at the World Cup uh, in Hoogahide and in January and also at the one in Middlekirk, which I don't know if that's the pronunciation, but it's fine. In February. Um, Middlekirk, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she had like an amazing season last year. She won 15 races, including the World Cup in Coxida. Um, and then, yeah, tested positive twice and received, basically they announced last week that she received a suspension that ended October 4th, which means it was completely backdated and she can start racing again right now. Um, and, and people were pissed. <laughs> and I think people are really pissed that her team, um, was advertising how excited that they were that you know she was coming back essentially so yeah it's it's a really tricky one um what are your feels about this i mean we so we talked about this a little bit um on a recent podcast where we talked about sophie devoice who's also in our our news roundup um but she we talked about how it's really hard to prove that you have 
a tainted supplement, if you're trying to prove that you took a tainted supplement, because there's no way to prove that that's what you took. Like you can prove you have a tainted supplement in your possession, but there's no way to prove that that's what you took. That is what's causing the positives. I don't know. It's, it's such a sticky subject because like we kind of talked about there, it's the only thing where you have to prove your innocence. Um, unless for example, a pharmacist steps forward and says, I know for a fact in the case of Daryl Impey, that the substance he took and he, he has in his possession was in fact tainted. And so yeah, Daryl was reinstated and, um, not banned. So yeah. And kind of, the way that Denise Betsima and also Sophie DeVoyce are going about it is they've both hired a, a really good lawyer. So Sophie DeVoyce B sample came back positive um, after she went positive in September and it was announced in November for an extrogenous steroid. And she's claiming innocence and plans to clear her name. So she's hired this lawyer, Johnny Miss Miss. Galk, oh gosh, that's going to be a hard one. We'll just we'll just call him Johnny. Johnny, to help her case, and it was the same. So the same lawyer that Denise Betsima worked with in order to prove that she had taken a tainted supplement or that she basically didn't do steroids. So yeah, it's, which I think for Sophie is almost making it look worse in a way, and this brings it back to the same point again with with money. Who who. Who actually is paying for these lawyers? Yeah, for sure. Because, I mean, Sophie DeVoyce, for one, she was on uh, Park Hotel Valkenburg this past year, which is basically a development team, and is going to Mitchelton Scott, but she hasn't actually joined the team yet, so she doesn't have that paycheck yet. Um, and even then, I mean, I don't know how much Mitchelton Scott is paying their riders, but, like, lawyers are expensive. Um, exactly. So it's kind of, yeah, it's all, I don't know. I, I think that doping in general is like a really unfortunate topic that we have in the sport or in sports in general. And it is interesting to me that the way that doping functions is you have to prove your, in, like in any other situation, you're innocent until proven guilty, except in doping. Yep. Yep. But I actually, when we had the talk with Jonathan Botters on the podcast, like over a month ago, it kind of changed my whole opinion of, of doping and tainted supplements and everything. Cause I always thought like, oh yeah, like tainted supplements, that's a real thing until he was talking about it. And he pointed out that you can't, you can prove you have a tainted supplement, but you can't prove you took that. Like there's no way to prove that that's what you took. No. Because by that point, it's just completely out of your system as well. So, And judging by how people reacted to Denise Betsima's backdated sentence, backdated uh, doping ban, and like people were really upset about it. And Sophie DeVoyce has hired the same lawyer. I feel like, yeah, it's not, it doesn't look good. But do you feel like people are less angry around the whole Sophie case um, compared to Betsima because obviously they're looking at the fact that her season previously was good, but then she had like this breakout season and then boom, she's done for doping. And obviously in people's minds, they make the connection between the two, which could be the case, but at the same time, 
we see it in sport all the time that people just have this standout year. Yeah, it, it does happen all the time. And I mean, it happens clean for sure. Like that you have mm-hmm. a breakout year all of a sudden. I think the reason people are so upset about uh, Betsima is that she tested twice positive in the same year. Yeah. And the UCI gave her a backdated sentence. So, Oh, and usually it's a four-year sentence, right? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, and uh, she only got six months like off-season, basically. Yeah, which... So, she would have just trained straight through and straight back in. So, yeah. yeah. I did see an interesting, actually, um, tweet from, I think it was Caroline Manny. And she said, like, yeah, Betsima tested positive and, and like, she's never going to, she still has her points, her World Cup points. And Caroline Manny, who was maybe two places below her or whatever, she's not, she's never going to get those points that, were taken away from her because there was a rider in front of her that tested positive for something. Um, and like, she's never going to get that like extra prize money. Cause she could have been, she should have been one place ahead basically, which I've never actually thought about that. Like, what does it mean when a rider tests positive? Someone won a huge race gets like crazy prize money. The person below them, like, you know, doesn't get that or the points that go along with it especially in like an, you lead up to an Olympic year when points are everything. And then like the rider who got first test positive, the rider in second, do they get the, is the race going to like, you know, try to get the money back from the person who got first and send it to the person who got second? Or like, is the UCI going to pull those points and give them to the second place rider? I've actually like never thought about that before. No, that is an interesting point. And honestly, I, I don't think that happens, but it's like, people who are winning Olympic gold medals now because their competitor that beat them years ago was doping at the time, but it feels like a false win in mm-hmm. a way. So yeah, I think Katrina Nash put it pretty, pretty well. She said the principle of strict liability and anti-doping is very clear. Intentional or unintentional means the same result. Guilty. Athletes are 100% responsible for what goes in our bodies at all times. And that's exactly what we were discussing, Abby, before we got on the call was you and I were both professional athletes and, you know, at least in Australia, the way that they taught us through the system was whatever you're putting in your body, even if it was a multivitamin, you check to make sure that that brand was okay on the list. And even with my protein shakes, I would only take, for example, when in Australia, body science, because it was one of the very few that I could go to the local shop and know that when I bought it, um, yeah, it was, it was cleared by Asada essentially. So, yeah, I mean, and when you're on a team and you go to team camp, there's always like a two hour long meeting at every single team camp about you're responsible, like look around the room. You're responsible for every single person in this room having a job. So you, you are responsible for what you put in your body. Don't take anything. You don't know what it is or like, don't take anything that's, you know, like a Costco brand vitamin C just don't. Yeah, exactly. Which I suppose leads on to the next point that you wanted to discuss was the UCI's announcement that they were upping the anti-doping effort in women's cycling. Yeah, the UCI announced uh, this week that they are having each of the eight World Tour teams contribute 10,000 euros to the Cycling Anti-Doping Foundation. 
um, which the UCI will match. So $20,000 um, to the Cycling Anti-Doping Foundation to increase the pool of uh, required testing riders. So at the moment, there's 102 women in the world tour and 492 on continental teams. And only 53 of those women are in the required testing pool, which is kind of crazy because that's not even. Yeah. And for listeners that don't know what that means exactly, the required testing pool is someone like, for example, yeah, Annemiek van Vluten, she can be tested at home at any time during her testing hours. Whereas in testing competition, everyone is subject to it. But, um, for example, I think when I was still racing, because it's so expensive to test athletes outside of competition and in competition, a lot of nations just actually pulled a lot of their athletes out of the testing pool. Um, I remember, you know, top athletes like Tiffany Cromwell um, weren't being tested anymore because – of money essentially. Yeah. Yeah. There's, it's really, um, it's kind of like a running joke. Like, Oh, I got an email that I was pulled from the required testing pool. I must not be getting enough results. It was like a running joke. (laughs) Well, I mean, Um, I was never in the testing pool. So I was like, Oh, just flying under the radar. You know, me too. I like never, well, I never once got tested ever, which is, I mean, I got, I was like on the podium at UCI races and I like won jerseys and stuff and I never once was tested. Yeah. Which says something. Yeah. And I mean, with the big step up in women's racing this year with the new salary increase and the world tour teams, I would hope that they would also increase the anti-doping effort because it's, there's more on the line now. Exactly. So I think this is um, a very positive move. Correct. Yeah. So we've kind of broken into our positive news for the day, which uh, (laughs) we can finish off with uh, Tour Down Under, but Voss is out of surgery and everything went well, according to her Instagram. So that's good news. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to seeing what Voss um, does this year on the bike. I'm a big fan, always have been. I'm sure you have been, Abby. God, she's amazing. Um, my first world championships where I really underperformed, but, um, I got pulled, I think with one lap to go. So I actually got to watch Voss win up the Kalberg. So I, I've been really happy myself. I think the whole Peloton is quite excited to see her back to her best again and yeah, wish her well for the year. My favorite thing about her is that every single time she wins, no matter what the race is, she always looks so shocked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly and it was like she went from winning like however many like most of the stages at the Giro this year to winning La Course and she just looked so shocked when she won La Course and it was like well yeah (laughs) just look at the season you've had yeah exactly it was like no one was surprised but she was so surprised (laughs) yeah yeah and I just love love that yeah we also finished up the first race of not, it's not a world tour race, but, uh, in my personal opinion, it should be the tour down under finished last weekend with a amazing ride by the one and only Ruth Winder, a dear friend of yours. So yes. a little bit of bias, but no, Ruth is fantastic. And <laughs> friend of the podcast was, too. 
<laughs> exactly. You need to get, I think, uh, Taylor and Ruth on there. Ruth and Tay? Yeah, I should. What is Ruff? I think it's just her nickname. I don't really know. I can ask her on the podcast. (laughs) She has the cutest accent, by the way. It's like this weird hybrid American-British accent. That is, there was one request for a true crime episode on is Ruth really a U.S. citizen? Can she really wear the stars and stripes? Oh. I was like, this is a great request. I'll definitely dig into it. Well, Um, I would personally like to hear from the two of them. Yeah, it'd be awesome to have them both on. So I'll definitely look into that. I mean, so the Tour Down Under happened four stages. The first stage was a sprint finish. Uh, Chloe Hosking won in her brand new team kit. Uh, She's riding for Rally, the U.S. team Rally this year. So she really started their season off good with the, the with a win and the leader's jersey. Uh, Lada Hintala, formerly Lada Lapisto, was second, and Matilda Reynolds took third. Um, stage two was kind of hillier. There was a break of three that was Amanda Spratt, Ruth Winder, and Leanne Lippert, who Leanne Lippert had an amazing ride as well. Like, Ruth had a good ride this race, but Leanne Lippert was also amazing. I mean, she was there every time it counted. Um, and there was time gaps all the way through the rest of the field for stage two. So it didn't like look, if you looked at the profile, it didn't look crazy, but there was like second multiple second time gaps between everybody. So it seemed like, yeah, it was an interesting stage. Did you get to watch any of it? Well, usually I'd be at the Tour Down Under, which I'm having a little bit of FOMO about. Um, but the great thing was that you could stream it this year. So whilst I missed it because I was um, obviously sleeping in Europe, I did watch the replays, um, which were really great. I think they were brought to you by like GCN or something like that. Um, and also Channel 7 had um, great coverage. So that was really cool. But um, usually with the Tour Down Under, I think what made it so exciting this year was previous years there was like that hilltop finish where Amanda Spratt was just the outright winner she you know put in the Spratt attack and there were massive time gaps but like you said there were smaller gaps um because this small group was finishing together in each of the stages that meant that that stage three became really really important yeah, um, Amanda Spratt was in the leader's jersey after stage two, but Ruth Winder took it on stage three in a sprint finish, basically. So she took the win by, or took the leader's jersey by bonus seconds. Um, yeah, and I mean, Spratt missed out on those seconds, which um, ultimately led to losing the jersey. Yeah, the the final day was, it's kind of a crit, basically, um, and was won by a break of 12 Simona Fraporti. Yeah. So <laughs> nice. Italian. Uh, Lauren Stevens and Rushley Buchanan from New Zealand was the podium. Go, Rushley. And then the GC overall was basically Ruth won by five seconds over Leanne Lippert, and Amanda Spratt was only six seconds behind. So it was all, all came down to the bonus seconds. Yeah. And Trek, um, from what I read about the race and again, saw the highlights, they raced a really smart race and they changed the circuit a little bit this year. And typically uh, a group doesn't get away, but it was a really strong group and they were happy for them to go away and, and take those points. But I mean, again, Ruth is a fantastic sprinter. So I think when it came down to it, um, 
it was going to be always quite hard for Spratty to try and take that jersey back. Yeah. And, I mean, it was an awesome race. And if you were in the U.S., um, you could watch it on Flow Bikes, which is – I just love Flow Bikes. It's amazing. If you're in no. the U.S., I highly recommend a subscription because they have so many races on there. And it's expensive, but it's worth every penny. And they started out the year with a bang with having the women's Tour Down Under on there. And the fact, like you were saying, that the women's Tour Down Under isn't World Tour yet, I know that's a big goal for the race. And, you know, previously the Europeans were starting the year a lot slower and the Australians, New Zealanders, all the Southerners were really dominating it. But what we can see now is that actually, yeah, the Northern Hemisphere riders are um, on form during the Tour Down Under, which previously was like more of a training camp. So they're taking the race more seriously and the same goes for the men. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I love this race. I'm with you with the FOMO. I'm like watching it and I was like, oh man, looks awesome. I I watch it, but then I try to switch off and just accept the fact that I'm in gray Belgium and uh, life goes on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but soon you'll get to come visit me in Girona and it's going to be awesome. Oh, I'm so looking forward to it. I haven't seen the sun in a while. And, uh, yeah, this is the first summer I think in like my whole life I have not been home to Australia. So Rough. going strong. You're doing great. You're doing great. <laughs> so that's the news. This week's episode is actually, I'm super excited about it. Uh, it's about to Kaylee's chagrin Zwift. Um, basically whilst down in, at TDU on the topic of TDU, half of the Canyon SRAM women's team was Zwift Academy winners. We okay. had Matt Deneef on the ground at TDU. So he got to talk to a couple of the Zwift Academy winners, as well as Tiffany Cromwell, who's been on Canyon SRAM since the dawn of the team. Um, so I talked to, or he talked to Jessica Pratt, uh, Ella Harris, uh, and Tiffany Cromwell. And then I wrapped it up by talking to Kate who works for Zwift and is the kind of mastermind and basically she's amazing. organizes all of, <laughs> yeah, she's, she was so passionate about it and talking to her was amazing because she was just so excited to talk about it. So it was really, really cool interview. Um, so with that, let's jump into Matt Deneef talking to Jessica Pratt. Congratulations on winning Zwift Academy. How's your experience been with the team so far? Yeah, no, um, very excited. Like, it was, the Zwift Academy journey was pretty cool. And, um, yeah, it's been amazing so far, TDU, with the team. Um, I'm learning lots each stage and, yeah, super grateful for this opportunity. What made you sign up for the Academy in the first place? Well, what made me sign up for the Academy? Um, I guess, I don't know, I come back from an overseas holiday and I was getting into work as a registered nurse. I'm starting my graduate year and I sort of realised that with shift work and that sort of thing, there wasn't a massive amount of hours to train and I had the National Road Series, the back half of the season coming up um, and I wasn't being coached and I sort of saw it as a great opportunity just to, yeah, get some solid training in and it quickly progressed from there. For people that aren't familiar with what's involved, what is involved in the Zwift Academy and what were the steps along the way? Yeah, so you have the starting rounds in Zwift Academy. So there's, I think it was 10 sessions that we had to complete. Um, from there, they chose 10 of us in the semi final. So that was a bit of a surprise receiving an email at like 4 a.m. before I was going to work <laughs> one day that I made the semi finals. Um, 
and yeah, from there it was, there were seven sessions, um, four sessions on Swift and three sessions on the road. We had two weeks to complete those sessions. Um, it was a bit of a juggle. I only had actually three days off work in that period. So I had to do the three road sessions on those days. So it was all in. I had to make sure I nailed those sessions. And um, it was actually sandwiched between Tour of the King Valley and Tour of Gippsland. So it was quite a hectic period. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I was pretty focused on trying to do my best and, yeah, ultimately trying to make the finals. And then um, from there, Ella Harris called me at, yeah, one day and to tell me that I made the finals, which was quite a surprise because we weren't expecting to find out until a few days later. Um, 2.5-week turnaround and, yeah, to Spain for the finals. Um, and for we joined on um, Kenyan Shram's training camp, um, had four days of different testing rides and every step we were doing we were being judged on, so it was quite stressful. But, um, yeah, I was fortunate enough to win Zwift Academy, so, yeah. It must give you a lot of confidence knowing that you beat almost 9,000 other women to get this opportunity. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I'm still pinching myself at this opportunity. It's been a dream of mine for ages to ride professionally, so, yeah, grateful that Zwift and Kenyan Tram create such a pathway. Have uh, Ella and Tanya been a big help? You know, they've obviously been through this process before. They helped ease you into the team? Yeah, definitely. It's been awesome having Ella and Tanya who've been through similar things. So they're always there to answer questions and that sort of stuff and always there for me. So it's a really awesome team to be a part of. What, what's the th- biggest thing you've noticed about racing at this level, at this race, compared to other races you've done? Yeah, no, um, this is definitely different to some of the racing I've done before. It's very, the team is very professional. And so, yeah, I'm just learning heaps from it. I'm working as a team for the, yeah, the Common Goal team. So it's been pretty cool. Yeah. And what are you hoping to get out of this season? What are your goals? Yeah, out of this season, I'm just looking to learn as much as I possibly can, improve and develop as a rider. And yeah, just absorbing as much as I can from each race I do. So it's pretty cool. I'm looking forward to 2020. So that was with Jessica Pratt, who is the 22-year-old 2020 Zwift Academy winner. Um, she's from Australia, so I bet it was awesome for her to race for her first ever world tour team or her first ever team at uh, the biggest race in Australia or second biggest because Cadell's is world tour this year, but not the point. Anyway, so that was Jessica Pratt. Next, Matt talked with Ella Harris, who was the 2019 Zwift Academy winner um, from New Zealand. The 21-year-old had a little bit of a rocky start to the year. She had a couple crashes and uh, last year, I mean, in 2019, a couple DNFs, but then by the end of the year, she came in super strong with a fourth place overall, all at the Colorado classic in the U S and then she actually raced the world championships, uh, for New Zealand. So that was super cool for her. And she started off the year this year at tour down under. So here's Ella Harris. Um, your second year of the team. How? Yes. What did you learn last year in your first step up to the to the big leagues? Um, where do I start? Really, <laughs> <laughs> I learned so much um, as soon as 
I was at the camp, not even in the team, I was learning a lot. There are just so many things to learn that when you're coming into a professional team, you don't even stop to think about and you don't learn these things until you make a mistake and you're like, oh, I won't do that again. What sort of thing? Um, Oh, just anything from how the team operates pre-race, like, you know, just at the camper, um, and then... Uh, just general training protocols, that sort of thing, um, like maintenance on and off the bike. It's just all the little things that you have to um, start really focusing on when you um, reach quite a high level. Um, but, yeah, I've, I feel like I've improved in, in lots of areas, but it's still every day you learn something else. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Do you remember what that feeling was like rocking up to training camp the first time with the team? Yeah, it was very intimidating, yeah. but it was it was cool at the same time. I think it... It was more scary and more surreal when I was actually in the team and I was like, oh, shit, like, I've actually... I've, I've got to sort of integrate now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the first time was more... When I was just for, there for the finals, it was more like um, just looking up to these riders um, and just trying to soak it all in. And then when you're in the team, it's like, right, it's time for business. Yeah. Is there anyone in the team that's been particularly welcoming to you that, or that's helped you kind of ease into the squad in the last year or so? Um, I think everyone's been really welcoming um, when they see that you can actually ride a bike and um, they the respect grows a lot. So with each race, everyone's just becomes more open and more encouraging and obviously it takes time. It's not like the sort of thing that you can just instantly jump into a professional team when you've never been a professional athlete before. It takes, you know, you've got to work on it. But, um, yeah, like I became pretty close with the, like the younger riders on the team and then like Tanya, she's obviously the previous Zwift Academy winner so yeah she was really um, really welcoming as well and we sort of understand where each other's come from so yep. it makes it easier and I guess you'd be able to help Jess integrate into the team you know in her first year here yeah yeah definitely yeah what was it that made you first sign up for Zwift Academy in the first place um, I'd just come back from a trip to America and I wasn't really sure what I was up to. It was winter at home and um, my friends sort of said, oh, the Zwift Academy's on and initially I wasn't going to do it because I thought, mm, it's a bit of a commitment. Um, but then I looked into it and I thought, oh, it's not actually too bad. Contacted my coach and he's like, yeah, yeah, give it a go. So we sort of put the, um, the sessions in around my training um, just to, to see if I could get into the semifinals and I was just treating it step by step and I'd get to the semifinals and I was like, oh, Oh, yeah, we'll try and go for the finals now. But, yeah, it was... I just did it really just to... Obviously, the contract was always at the back of my mind, but you never really think that you'll actually be the one that gets it because there are so many other people wanting the same thing. So, yeah, it was always a goal, and but at the same time, I was more just focusing on step-by-step, step, getting the free erg and <laughs> working from there. Finally, Matt chatted with Tiffany Cromwell, who is the 31-year-old Australian who's been on Canyon SRAM since it started in 2016. Before that, she was on Velocio SRAM and then specialized Lululemon, and before that, Orica AIS. Um, so she's been racing for a really long time. She's super, super knowledgeable about racing and women's racing and women's sport and everything, and um, has got to see the Zwift Academy basically from the very beginning. So she chatted with Matt a little bit as well.
I just wanted to ask you about the Swift Academy a little bit and get your perspective on the riders that you've seen come through in the past years. What's your perspective on that pathway as a way of getting into the Women's World Tour? You know, I think the Swift Academy's definitely opened up opportunities. You know, it took a year or two to really work out the best way to it. So I think the first year was very much just a... I guess you'd say learning process. Like the way that they did all, I think it was 100% based only on being on the Zoom platform, which is good, but the flip side is you also need some race experience, I believe. But um, with that, they learned very quickly because we had um, Leah <laughs> as our first winner. And, you know, although she had a huge amount of power, being, I guess, on the older perspective as well and not having had any experience, she lacked in the skills. And with that, we couldn't really use her in the races. But from you know an exposure and marketing point of view, it was fantastic because the was well on the team. Year two, obviously with Tanya, already we saw huge improvements. You know, she had had a little bit of experience of racing in fixed dual circuits, so we knew she had some skills, but also still had a lot of learning to do in terms of race tactic knowledge and stuff like that. And she's still kind of in the mid-age range, whereas since then we've had a lot younger perspectives, and also from far and wide, you know, the, particularly the Oceania region. Um, we had one for South, America, uh, South Africa this year as well, and I think that's really great, particularly, you know, for Australia, where our pathways are fantastic. You know, we've had Ella, which she was awesome from the get-go. She was a young rider, she was motivated, enthusiastic, and had had some race experience without being at a pro level. So, you know, that shows it's it's what we want it for. Like, it's a great way to give people an opportunity to get into pro circuit when sometimes it's really difficult, particularly from this side of the world, and to also nurture them. And the team's doing a really good job at nurturing them as well. And and that's where we've changed. They changed it from the platform for the first part, set challenges, and they have Kev... Um, Kev... Kev, who works Caleb Ewan and um, a few other top, top guys. Like, he's in charge of overseeing the performance side as well, so I think that's really fantastic, you know. So it's super knowledgeable to give also us facts and numbers, not only from what we see at the training camp when we get the riders who come there in the final three. So that's really important because, yeah, the team choose at the end of the day. And the women that have come through, have you seen them develop as riders, not just in terms of power, but, but handling in the bunch, ability to move around? So have you seen their development over the years? Yeah, hugely, you know. Tanya's probably the biggest development we've seen. You know, she started with being very nervous. She had huge power. You know, she can push a 1,000 watts, but maybe a bit nervous in the peloton. And, you know, she's got great potential to be a fantastic sprinter. And, you know, we have seen her bit by bit. We're putting her just to chase on the intermediate sprints. And now we're starting to give her a chance in these bunch sprints. And, you know, she's showing she's got the ability, still has some work to do, but with that. And I think Ella as well. Ella at the start, for sure. She straight away fitted in terms of the race part, but also developing the team environment. I think she had a lot of learning to do. And, you know, being coming from individual mentality to being in a team mentality. But she responded a lot every time. And, you know, now we're seeing her knowing how to use the peloton better. And, look, she's finished top ten in Santos Women's Tour here or maybe just outside. And, you know, to think last year was her first year in the pro circuit and to already be, you know, top ten and yeah, getting some good results. Like, it shows she's got huge potential and, and may not have had an opportunity in the, in the past without the Super Academy. Finally, to round out the episode, I sat down with Kate, who is one of the people who's in charge of Zwift Academy, who helps on the Zwift side of things get everything sorted. And and she's kind of, you can hear in the interview how incredibly passionate she is about Zwift Academy. So 
chatting with her was amazing because I think Zwift is really, really passionate about this being a legitimate path for women to get to the pro peloton. But more than that, it's kind of a community building thing that they're, they've gotten so many more women into, you know, riding, riding bikes, which is amazing. I mean, the, we talk a little bit about the story of Leah Thorvalson, who was the very first Swift Academy winner and how the program has grown since then to now some seriously incredible athletes do the Zwift Academy to try to get onto teams. And so anyway, I chatted with Kate and she had a lot to say and it was, it was an awesome conversation. So hopefully you enjoy that. So to finish off the rest of this episode, here's Kate. So I'm super excited to tie in this episode. We had chats with a couple of the girls on Canyon Sram down at Tour Down Under and also uh, with Tiffany Cromwell, who's on the team, but wasn't part of Zwift Academy, but we got like a bunch of awesome information from them. And I wanted to also tie in a chat with someone at Zwift because they're, I mean, they are what makes Zwift Academy happen. So I'm here with Kate. Kate, hi, how's it going? Hi, Abby. How are you? Great. Um, so what is your role at Zwift? Yeah, so my name's Kate Verano, and I am a senior cycling growth marketing manager. Um, I've been at Zwift, uh, it'll be four years this May. And uh, four years ago, um, my buddy said, hey, I, I got this project at Zwift that I think you'd be perfect for, and it was uh, Zwift Academy. So I was really brought on to work on this project, and uh, and I also do a lot of women's strategy at Zwift. And yeah, that's my background. That's awesome. Yeah, because Zwift Academy started basically four years ago with uh, Leah Thorvalson, who won that's the first right. first year. Yeah. Um. So when it kind of like when you guys started coming up with the concept for Zwift Academy, what was the what was the motivating factor for it? Yep. So we sought out to create a global um, talent identification program. So we, we had this awesome platform. We said, hey, let's go find this diamond in the rough, somebody that, you know, maybe doesn't have um, a clear pathway to the next level of cycling and kind of create this opportunity where we give people a stage to show their talent. We run this whole program. We open it up to the world and we see what we find. That's awesome because actually that that um, describes Leah like to a T runner yep. ex runner who didn't didn't really know what she was doing in cycling and then yeah signed for one of the best teams in the world. Yep, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild. It was, what was the most interesting thing about that first year is that we you know we 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 set out to uh, you know run this talent ID program, but what we did in the meantime is actually build this global cycling training community, like the, the world's largest like women's training community. Uh, we had, I think, a thousand women that first year. And uh, most of them weren't going for the contract. They were just in it to, to do a fun program, to be supported by other women, you know, to have, you know, kind of a community. So when Leah started out, she started out with like a thousand fans. It was pretty neat. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I actually signed up for Zwift Academy once just because I wanted to do the train the workouts because it was um, I couldn't get a contract because I was already on rally at the time. But I just thought, oh, this will be really cool to like be part of the community, and it it definitely was 
cool to join up with. Like there was other people who were doing it at the same time who I was friends with. And we could, we talked about, Oh man, that workout was so hard and (laughs) stuff like that. So yeah, it's super cool. Why, why was it for women? Why did you guys start out with, um, the intention to kind of like push women cycling? Yeah. Well, I thought, I think we, we felt like that was a great place to start. We wanted to, to show our support for women cycling. Um, and it was really fascinating. Actually, we were already thinking about this, this whole concept and then Canyon SRAM approached us and oh, wow. Okay. Yep. With a similar idea. And we came together and built this program and I'm so glad we did it with women first. Um, I think we felt like that was a way we could really pull it off. Like we could really put everything into it at, at, at a scalable size, um, that was going to, um, you know, what was going to really seek out like the best talent in the world and, and Canyon SRAM being this incredible partner that was like super invested, uh, they took a risk. I mean, we all took a risk because, you know, there was definitely a lot of people that first year that are like, what are you, what are you guys doing? That's crazy. <laughs> you know, I, I, myself included at times I was like, Oh God, what are we doing? But it felt exciting and it felt like we were building something. Um, Leah was just so incredible that first year because she was, she's such a genuine athlete and person. She shared like the ups and downs of it and, and how hard it was to come from, you know, the pathway that she took to the pros. Like she did, does have a world-class engine, but she didn't have the race experience that, you know, she got dropped into the pros and, uh, you know, had to kind of navigate her way and had to, you know, trial by fire a bit. But she handled it so well and the support of her team and, you know, they felt like they could they could teach her a lot of the things that they needed to teach her, but they couldn't teach that engine that she had. And they felt like she had such potential. So and they were right. For sure, because Zwift is I mean, it's just it's numbers. But at the end of the day, the people, the three finalists who are going to the Canyon Stram training camp are the people with the highest numbers. Yep, it is. And it's. It's a little bit. Uh, it's a little bit more complex of a formula at this point because um, we do have the pro- the program has grown to such an extent that we have so much diverse talent at this point that you almost can't really get to the top level unless you do have bike race experience at this point because it just it's just the talent pool is so deep. Um, so it, you know it's come a long way, but I'm, I'm so impressed with what she did that first year. Yeah, she was amazing. And they kept her a second year. So she got to keep going and she's still racing now. I mean, she's, she's definitely like thrown herself into it and it's amazing to see. And then the second year Tanya won and she had, she had not really like pro level experience, but she had, um, the red hook crit experience, which is completely different, but it seems to have worked out really well because she's still on the team now. Yeah. So Tanya was such an interesting story. You know, she had just gotten her medical degree. Um, she really was racing part time. She, she had a triathlon background, but then kind of found these, um, red hook crits. And, you know, I know enough about bike racing that if you can, you know, you can podium a red hook crit, like, you know how to handle your bike. You're comfortable in a pack. Like you are willing to take those, you know, those, take those risks and really put yourself out there. So I knew she was going to be an exciting rider, but the way she's developed too, because of who Tanya is, um, she's such a student and she just went head first into it. And, you know, uh, especially once she was then, you know, putting everything towards pro racing, um, she just came up so quickly and was an immediate contributor. And, uh, one of my favorite things that's happened to me at Zwift 
was one day I got a package in the mail and it was uh, a signed sprint jersey from her uh, oh, from the World awesome. Tour race. And it like, yeah. I mean, I welled up right away and it was just like, wow, like and this is year two. <laughs> Yeah. And I I mean, it's definitely clear that Zwift is really getting behind pro cycling because it's this, it's this platform that really has nothing to do with professional cycling. It's, I mean, it's virtual, so it's not connected to it, but it's, it's awesome that you guys are getting involved that way. And I think that because of, uh, just the way Zwift is, it's become a really popular tool for, for the cycle pro cyclists to use. Mm -hmm. So yeah. It's super cool. Another interesting thing in the qualification process is that we have, you know, world tour coaches looking at the data and they, uh, they work with the coaches of the teams and they'll, they'll look at the, the power, the power profile of the pro riders on the team and then compare it to these potentials. So you really see, cause it's, it's one thing if somebody has a killer sprint or they have, you know, they have a really strong form in it, but it's another thing if you can really kind of map out somebody that is currently racing pro that has raced pro for years and then you see a power profile that has you know a similar you know curve and and potential it's pretty incredible so it's kind of like a deeper dive into the data as opposed to just being like oh well they just have a really high ftp it's kind (laughs) of you can see this full picture of an athlete it's pretty neat yeah, because they have to compete also in races on Zwift when they're trying to make the final correct. three, correct? Yeah, there's races on Zwift. Um, so, yeah, it goes, you know, from the, the giant qualification period into the, the top 10. And then in that second round, the semifinal of, of top 10, they go through a whole second round of workouts that also include outdoor workouts as well. So mm-hmm. and then the, the coaches are comparing the, the outdoor and indoor data. So we also send them out, like the in the qualification period, there's like a a survey that goes out to the top contenders, maybe like 40 contenders that, um, gets a lot of information about them, uh, their, their history as an athlete, any race experience, um, just to really complete that picture of them as an athlete. And it's, uh, is there an age limit or like a, do you have to be over a certain age? You have to be over 18. Yep. And for the men's side, uh, in the years that we've done it, we, it was for a U23 contract. So there were some age limitations there. Okay. Uh, for women, 18 plus, we have had, this is another interesting thing. The year uh, Leah won, I believe she was 38. Then Tanya was maybe 29. Mm-hmm. And then Ella was 19. So, <laughs> and then I think, I think Jess is maybe 21, 22. Yeah. Yeah. So like a huge range of ages, huge range. And it's so cool. I mean, last year in the finals, um, Mary Wilkinson from the UK, I think was 38 and crushing it. I mean, the way like she won the hill climb at finals. I mean, the team was so impressed. So it, it's really beautiful to see, um, you know, such a range of, of women cyclists, you know, being able to really compete. And we know this, you know, this from racing that yeah, you know, those 35 plus women are dangerous. <laughs> it's <laughs> true. Know? It's one of the coolest things about women cycling, I think, is that women peak later. So we have oh, in the Peloton, just this crazy range of, I mean, Annemiek Van Vluten, she's, she's, I think 34, maybe she's yeah. like, yeah. And it's really, and she's world champ. It's really, yeah. really cool. Yeah. We all know um, my, my fave Kristen Armstrong too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Like won a world uh, gold yeah. medal, like the day before her 40, 40th birthday or something. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a 44, <laughs> I think her last medal was. Oh yeah. I mean, I'll double 
check. Yeah, the, we'll have fun. a fact check. We can do a yeah. fact check. Fact My check. favorite podcast of all time does fact check. I can do fact check too. <laughs> <laughs> so do you get to actually go to the Canyon SRAM camp and like see the finalists kind of throw themselves into a team camp? Yeah. Uh, so that's the really exciting part for me. Um, I am uh, ushering through this whole process. So from the qualification period, setting up all the, you know, the program, through, uh, you know, helping to uh, define the semifinalists and then uh, the finals. So I get to bring the three finalists to camp with the team. Um, This is my fourth year doing it. So I've got a great relationship with the team at this point as well with Beth and Ronnie. And um, yeah, once we get there, I'm sort of their their handlers, you know, I kind of help them, you know, uh, you know, just making sure they're where they need to be and, and, you know, communicating, being the liaison with the team. Um, and it's a lot of fun just to see uh, the the way that the competition is elevated each year. Um, and this year was just incredible. I mean, the athletes that we brought to camp, it makes me so proud, you know, to put because the, the first year we showed up in Majorca, wow, that was hard. That was really hard. So we, th- we show up with these three athletes. And honestly, the team, while the team management was fully bought in, I can't say the team was, and I don't blame them. Like, this is such a new concept. And they're kind of like, wait, one of these is going to be our new teammate? You know, like we went through the ranks and we, you know, we've been racing since we're, you know, could ride a bike. So it was pretty fascinating to see, you know, four years. And then this year we show up with these three riders. And, you know, for me, it's like old friends now. And uh, it's, it's really the team it gets really into it. They're a huge part of the decision. There's always this really intense uh, team discussion and like behind closed doors of, uh, you know, after they've been putting these riders through the paces throughout the week at camp. And then they, they sit down in a room and they talk through what they like or don't like or where they see potential. And it just it's fascinating. They're they're heavily invested because this is a team that has been mostly the same team for four years. You know, mm-hmm. like, no team has kept the same, you know, uh, riders uh, to the extent that Canyon Sram has. So to break into that, you know, clan is hard. So they, it's, it's, it's a lot of personality. It's a lot of like, what, what are they, how do they think this rider is going to contribute? What are the weaknesses? Like, what can they deal with? What can they, what are they not willing to deal with? It's, it's a lot of fun to see the process. Yeah, I assume that they also take into account like a lot of personality and stuff because when you're joining a team, it's it's not all about the numbers and what you can do on the Absolutely. bike. I mean, it's like 80% on yep. the bike, but it all, you also want to have someone that you want to like hang out with at dinner. Yep. Yeah, one of the questions this year, we did a little pro panel at camp. And one of the first questions is, what do you do if your teammate snores? And, you know, <laughs> and it was like, it was it was just so cute, like to see, it's like, these are the things that matters. Like, like, it's not like they would kick a teammate off if they snored. It's more so how do you deal with it if, if, if like, you know, your teammate is snoring? Yeah, um, for sure. How do you work in that team dynamic? Because, you know, how much time you spend with each other. I mean, you're like family. So, it's really important. And it's, we've had some killer athletes come to camp, but they came from more individual disciplines and they really didn't know how to uh, integrate with a team. Like one of them came in and like started giving like nutritional advice to the riders and the riders were kind of like, what, (laughs) you know? So like, you got to be careful. And like some of them do it better than others. And um, you know, not everybody is a great teammate. There's so many great athletes out there, but that aren't necessarily like, you know, the easiest to get along with or, you know, so it's, it's, it's crazy to see. 
Has anybody kind of like gone from Zwift Academy and advanced to like the higher levels and then gone a different way? Like, do you know of anyone who's been like, oh, well, I didn't, I made it to the final three, but I didn't make it onto the team. I'm going to sign for another team or I'm going to do triathlon or something like that. Yeah, we've definitely had some, well, one of the early riders went uh, to like ultra endurance. Um, some of them have like turned to like Zwift racing because they realized that that's actually was more viable for them, you know, career wise, they could still like, you know, hold on to their career, but then also race, uh, you know, at the highest level. So that's kind of cool to see. Um, we've had, yeah, we've had some women like almost kind of give it up, which is interesting. Like they were like, okay, well I tried that. Now I'm going to go a different direction. Um, cause we all know, I mean, it's, it's hard like women cycling, you know, there's yeah. not a lot of opportunity. Um, so you know, it's, uh, you know, uh, we've had people come back for the next year, which is really exciting. I think this year we had three, three of the semifinalists were returns, uh, semifinalists from last year, which is really cool. Cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So yeah, a little bit all over the place. One of them like, just like kind of went to med school, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> and I mean, I guess from when you started it, you've seen a ton of growth from, from the very first year to, you know, last year yeah. doing Zwift Academy. 9,000 women joined Zwift Academy this year. That was incredible. That was so That's exciting. amazing. Yeah, yeah, that was so exciting. It's pretty much almost doubled every year. Um, yeah, and just, I mean, the, you know, the potential is, is unlimited. So I'm excited to see what brings, what next year brings. Um, and like I said, it's not always just about that, that top rider too. Well, that's such a great story and so PRable. I love all the stories of the women that are doing it because they're trying to train for their first Fondo or their first outdoor ride. They've never done a group ride. Um, they, you know, they, uh, there's just, you know, they're coming back from illness or sickness or babies. And, and this is like their opportunity to train in a, in a really supportive community. And then, like I said, that winner starts out with thousands of fans and they follow, yeah. they love following, you know, uh, Leah, Tanya, Ella, and Jess. And I mean, this year it's so exciting. Having all three on the team is just incredible and just yeah, it, new. Because I mean, by looking at the team this year and the reason that we're doing this whole segment is because, um, half of the team uh, for Canyon Stram were Zwift Academy winners at the tour down under. And I mean, I guess it's safe to say it's been a really successful program as far as putting women into the pro peloton via Swift. Yeah, it's, I mean, for for Jess Pratt in her first race to show up and get ninth in the GC at the Tour Down Under is astounding. For Ella to to race Worlds last year um, and, and come in fourth at the Colorado Classic, I mean, it's just, it makes my heart swell. It's just really incredible. Um, you know, I'm, I'm happy that we are giving these athletes a chance to shine because they're out there. Like we all know, like the best athletes aren't even racing bikes yet. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. there's so much more opportunity. And I feel at Zwift, you know, um, because we're a virtual platform, um, because we don't really have to operate, uh, in the same way that a lot of traditional cycling has, we have like an opportunity and a responsibility to have complete parity, you know, for men and women, for, for racing, for Zwift Academy, um, for just the different opportunities that we can offer. And it's so, it makes me so happy to be able to, you know, I came from racing and I stopped racing because there wasn't teams. Like I, I you know, I was pretty strong and it just was like, you know, I got to go back to work. This is just not working out. And so now to be able to play a role where I can create more opportunity and to, to see, you know, women be able to really chase their dreams is so exciting. 
That's awesome. Are you are you planning on doing Zwift Academy again this year? I don't know if it's like been announced or anything or if you can oh, yeah. tell me. I can cool. guarantee you. <laughs> awesome. When for anyone who's listening who's like, oh man, that sounds amazing. I want to be part of this community or I I want that pro contract, when roughly will it start? So we're looking at, because of um, some different things with the UCI and things like that for team rosters, we're, we haven't defined exactly when the program will be this year, but I can almost guarantee it's going to be in the fall. It might even be a little bit later this year, like starting in like October, November. So which would be better for the North America racers too, because sometimes it's been a little bit difficult to do the program in like August, you know, when a lot of North American racers and European racers are really kind of tired from their season. So... Mm-hmm. I'm hoping, um, you know, it'll be a similar format to previous years, but even just bigger and better. Uh, but if anybody wants to kind of stay in tune, just, you know, follow Zwift, uh, follow our, follow our Instagram, follow our Facebook, you know, join Zwift, of course. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, the, we'll, it's always going to be a very big campaign promoting it and letting people know when this is going to kick off. Awesome. Great. Well, I can't wait and um, I'll, I'll sign up. Heck, sounds great. <laughs> Please do. Uh, yeah, let's ride together. I think there might be a rule about you can't, you can't win the contract if you're in pro cycling, but if you're out of, if you've been out of contract for a year, you might be eligible. I think we can look into this. <laughs> yeah, cool. Cause this was my plan. I was like, I'll take a year off and then I'll win Zwift Academy. I love it. I love it. We'll get to work together. I've seen you ride. I, I already, I already like what you can do. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been great. My pleasure.